0: This is the second in a brief series, (laughs) I said brief, (laughs) on the subject living godly lives in a godless world. Don't know how a series of that subject matter could be brief, but I'm going to give it a shot. In our first message last week we looked at 2nd Timothy 3 and we put out there for all of us to consider a description of the state of human existence and behavior in what Paul called the last days Paul's description paints a difficult and sad and discouraging description here are some of the words that he uses people will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boastful proud abusive disobedient to their parents ungrateful unholy without love unforgiving slanderous without self-control brutal not lovers of the good treacherous rash conceited lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power Paul says have nothing to do with such people I quoted last week a post from a friend of mine He who reads the newspaper knows what's happening in the world he who reads the Bible knows why it's happening so in reality our study last week painted a picture for us of a world that we already know a lot about don't we a society which love of self Is paramount over love of God a society in which the consideration of God's laws God's commands and his precepts have been thrown out and they have been replaced by Satan inspired man-made laws of self-indulgence lust and immorality up is down right is wrong Dishonorable is now honorable. The lies that the enemy of our souls has propagated in these last several decades have taken up deep roots in the thinking of our current generation, especially in our institutions of so-called higher education. Lovers of self rather than lovers of God. The Lord Jesus knew that his children would be living in the midst of a wayward sinful and self-centered people. Jesus made it clear that his children, his followers, his disciples would face persecution and hatred. In John 15, we read the words of Jesus beginning in 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you. Say chosen. Anybody? Hallelujah. Chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know. The one who sent me the words of the Apostle Peter in first Peter chapter 2 he says but you are a chosen say chosen you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now say but now come on But now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy I want you to listen closely to these next two verses friends dear friends I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul listen to this live such good lives among the pagans That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly. Somebody say hold firmly. Hold firmly to the word of life. You see friends, the goal, the target is to live Christ-like holy without fault in a warped generation we're living in that kind of world when I saw that word I thought warped 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 means out of shape no longer even resembling the world and the lives that God intended for his children Warped, friends. Messed up. Upside down. Paul described it. Peter described it. Jesus described it. You and I, we're living in it. Warped. It was like that in multiple Old Testament societies and stories, wasn't it? the worlds that Noah lived in the Elijah lived in and Jeremiah and Isaiah they all lived in in warped messed up days and societies but no situation or circumstance teaches us more about living godly lives in an ungodly world than the life of Daniel the young man Daniel found himself, among others, taken captive by the kingdom of Babylon. Let's read some of the account here, beginning in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of god these he carried off to the temple of his god say his god his god in babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his god then the king then the king ordered ashpenaz chief of his court officials to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, four young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine, From the king's table, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, enter into the service of the king. Point one of my message this morning, now that I've spoken for 20 minutes. (laughs) The days were troubling, difficult, and tragic. It looked as though the enemy of God's children Had complete victory I don't want you to escape that as we talk through this story today note that Jehoiakim king of Judah who Nebuchadnezzar had conquered here was a Judean king placed on the throne by the Pharaoh of Egypt a number of years before His name means Yahweh raises up, but the Lord did not raise him up at all. Pharaoh did. God delivered this Egyptian appointed king into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. You see, friends, things had not been right in Jerusalem for a long time already. The captivity of Babylon just took it to the next level, took it to the next deep, dark place. The siege and capture was not just against the city, not just against the people, but it was truly against the heart of Jehovah God, and a great sin against him. Look at the second part of verse 2. I hope you didn't fly over this the first time we read through it. It could be flyover country. This is important. Along with some of the articles of the temple of God, true God, these he carried off to the temple of his God. Put them in a treasure house of his God. Nebuchadnezzar's God. You see, friends, that's what God-haters do. They take the precious, sacred things of the Lord, and they pervert them. I imagine there was a great celebration in the temple of Babylon, at the hauling of the things of the true God's temple into the house of the false god. It says, Nebuchadnezzar's God. Little g. Nebuchadnezzar's God. The precious sacred things, listen, the precious sacred things of God are never meant for the temples of false gods. little g what an affront to our holy God and not only did Babylon capture the precious things of the temple of God they captured some things even more precious to God's heart for select young men and like the things from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar intended for his own pleasure with his own God in his own temple. His own gratification in the temple was his own God. He intended these fine young men for his service, for his gratification, for his enjoyment. I believe God hated that. Sons torn from their families, removed from their homes. And an aside how it tears at our hearts today the atrocities that the terrorists have brought onto Israeli families in recent days, and it grieves the heart of God. Nebuchadnezzar had captured the most precious things of Judah, of Jerusalem. It's where we find ourselves indeed times were tragic I want you to look at what the king decided to do with these young men verse 5 then the king ordered ashton the chief of the court officials to bring into the king's service these these four young men good young men fine young men He was going to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them, listen to this, the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, assigned to the king's service. Point two of my message this morning Nebuchadnezzar intended to use the best of Jerusalem for himself. Say himself. Men will be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. That rings in my ears here. Remember, lovers of self, not lovers of God. In narcissistic turn of events, the young captives were not fed as slaves. They were not housed in a prison camp, but Nebuchadnezzar wanted to feed them from his own table. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to invest, say invest. He wanted to invest so that he would receive the best result. His intention wasn't for the good of these Hebrew boys. It was completely intended for the outcome to serve the purposes of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. That was Nebuchadnezzar's intent. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. But Daniel resolved. Point three, Daniel was not willing to compromise his standards. Here he finds himself in this this circumstance, a captive. Look at a verse again. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat of the food that Nebuchadnezzar had provided. The phrase that he might not defile himself suggests that the food King Nebuchadnezzar was serving was a kind of food that the Jews weren't allowed to eat. Remember that the Jews had many dietary restrictions of foods that were declared unclean. Friends, Daniel didn't have to uphold his Jewish standards in that environment. He was away from home in a foreign pagan kingdom. Without his parents around, he could have eaten that food without a second thought. But I go back to my point. Daniel was not willing to compromise his standards. modern-day example of this would be if a, if a kid goes to a friend's house and they're playing a video game watching a movie that they know they wouldn't be allowed to watch since the parents aren't around the child can easily get away with playing the game or watching the movie same thing going on here Daniel didn't have to maintain the standards of his faith, which had been taught to him from birth. He was no longer in the confines of his home, but he did. This young boy had the precepts of God as well as integrity so instilled in him that it only mattered to him whether or not he pleased God. It didn't matter to him what everybody else was doing. It mattered to him that he pleased his God. It's the heart of Daniel. According to the text, only Daniel and his three friends refused the king's food. All the other captives ate just whatever the king offered. Didn't matter to Daniel. Daniel wasn't going to compromise. It's an extremely important lesson for young and old alike to learn, especially in this society. Peer power, peer pressure is a powerful thing. It's been the cause of many people through the centuries losing their faith. As followers of Christ, listen, as followers of Christ, we have to decide up front, just like Daniel, that we're not going to compromise our biblical principles no matter what. Just as Daniel purposed in his heart, we must also determine that whatever comes our way, whatever comes our way, we're not going to forfeit what we know is acceptable in the sight of God. But friends, the pressure's going to come somehow some way you're going to get negatively influenced by your peers your co-workers even your family members but if pleasing God and living according to his will truly is important to you as it was to Daniel it'll be easier than you think friend it'll be easier than you think because you've determined in your heart that you're not going to compromise Decide right now that if something comes up that you know is contrary to God's word, you aren't going to participate or condone that behavior. Daniel was not willing to compromise his standards. Chuck Swindoll writes this, Few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack clean living. Just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. That's what the folks need that are around you. Number three this morning. When God calls, he makes a way. When God calls, he makes a way. Look at verse 9. <laughs> God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord and king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head. He's wanting me to take care of you. Verse 11. Daniel said to the card who the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this, and he tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine that they were to drink and gave them veggies. (laughs) To these four men... God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. These were anointed kids, friends. Even in that environment, even in that setting, God had purpose in their life. The calling on Daniel's life surfaces here in an absolutely dramatic way. Despite living in captivity, living in an evil kingdom, and being groomed with the intention of the service of a pagan ruler, ruler God had intention for Daniel's life say God had intention and that intention of God for his life that calling that mission was taking shape in the worst of situations God had a plan friend listen when you think it's hopeless God has a plan When you think it's all over, God has a new start. When you think it's pointless, God has purpose. The plan in place for the life of Daniel right here that we read is starting to be lived out. And it started with, eat your veggies. (laughs) Dennis Brickner, I've heard you say that before. Eat your veggies. We don't have time this morning to walk through the entirety of the book of Daniel, but I want us to get a glimpse of a few other occurrences in Daniel's life. In chapter 6, beginning in 6, So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict. And enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any other god or human being during the next 30 days except you shall be thrown in the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put that decree in writing. Things didn't get any easier, did they? Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed and gave thanks to God just as he had, say, just as he had done. Just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to God or a human being except you, your majesty? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance to the life of Moses or to the life of, of the Medes and Persians. Number four, God was the central aspect of Daniel's life. We learn later in the sixth chapter of Daniel that part of his routine was to kneel toward Jerusalem and to pray to God three times a day. Of course, later, this became the reason he got thrown into the lion's den so we've already discovered there was nothing more important to Daniel but his God. Nothing more important. Everything in Daniel's life resolved around God. Christians today can learn from this example. You've heard the, the illustration of a wheel on, the, on a bike. The case for far too many Christians is that instead of being a central part That all the spokes revolve around God is merely another spoke in the wheel he's merely just a part of our lives and for many a small part at that this wasn't the case with Daniel nor should it be the case with us in our Christian walk today he should be fundamental the most important part of our lives with everything else revolving around him unfortunately it's easy for God not to be on the forefront of our minds every day. Sometimes He simply enters our thoughts every now and then when we pray before a meal or when we sit through a Bible class. This isn't the way we should treat someone whose incredible grace saves us each and every day. We're supposed to love God with how much? All of our hearts and souls and minds. Don't push God back to just being a part of your life. As shown in the life of Daniel, God needs to be the central part of your life, and everything else revolves around it. Fifthly, Daniel uses his influence and carries out his calling. I love this. As Christians living in America, We are influenced by so many things every single day, some negative and some positive. Well, mostly negative. (laughs) Consequently, we also have the power of influence. You, my friend, have the power of influence. The people we come in contact with, whether it be the waiter at the restaurant or the visitors at church on Sunday morning, we all influence in some way, sadly. Many Christians don't use their influence to further God's kingdom. Not all people are brought to Christ through direct evangelism. It starts with an example. If people can't tell Christians apart from the rest of the world, we're missing the first major step. Just look at Daniel. In chapter 2, he interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And the king proclaimed, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings. Wow. Nebuchadnezzar said that. How incredible that would be. Daniel used his influence to influence the king of Babylon. This isn't the only time, however. In chapter 6, verses 25 through 27, after King Darius sees Daniel waltz out of the lion's den without a scratch, King Darius decrees that no one should worship anyone but the God of Daniel. Daniel used his influence in an extremely positive and powerful way. You have that opportunity. From the king's table to the lion's den to the fiery furnace, Daniel stood firm we need to stand firm. We need to draw from the strength and the power given us by God through His Holy Spirit every single day. Very difficult times in Daniel's day. Very difficult, discouraging days today. You can live, listen, you can live a godly life in an ungodly world. By recognizing the days for what they are, not compromising what you have learned, pushing through the tough days, and most of all, keeping your eyes heavenward toward the prize of the high calling in Jesus Christ. You see, walking in victory is walking in the center of your calling, remember we said we're chosen God hasn't chosen you just to make you feel good he's chosen you for purpose he chose Daniel for purpose in even in that society even in that world even in that circumstance Daniel was able to use his influence and influence the world around him are you doing that you can you can You see, those around are lovers of self rather than lovers of God, and they're going to find out sooner or later that it gives no real satisfaction, Amen. but that our God who has graciously entered our lives, entered our world, he is the one who brings salvation and satisfaction and and deliverance. Anybody been delivered? Anybody been been touched and healed? How about Daniel, huh? (laughs) All of us, in one form or another, find ourselves in the difficulty of our surroundings. And I believe we talked about it last week, that those surroundings are much more difficult than what we've seen in many, many years. For a number of reasons that I won't go into. But I will tell you that our God is on your side. Amen. He's got intention for your life, just as he had intention for Daniel. When it, did that look hopeless to you early in that story? Yeah, sure it did. Sure it did. Does it look hopeless to you on the streets today? Sure it does. Be the light, friend. Be what God has put into you, shining out to influence those around you. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and for hope in a godless world. Help us, Lord, to draw on you, to draw on your strength, to draw on your truth, to draw on your inspiration. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't think I